Welcome to the Fortress. Hello, hello. Hi. Here in America. Yeah. I'm yeah. Mikhail Page. I'm Andrew Sanford. And we are back in the land of the free, mm. back from the socialist state of Canada to the slowly becoming socialist state of America. You've been thinking about this, haven't you? No, no. This is just truth. This is just how it <laughs> Spilling is. Spilling out. This is what's happening. We're happy to be back. Mm-hmm. You know, medicine's a little bit more expensive, but... Uh, the beer is so much cheaper. Yep, that is very true. Yeah. <laughs> but we did, we did have some fun in Canada. We I sure did. Say. We just watched... Crisis on two Earths. Oh man, finally! Oh my we God, that took so long. It. Yeah, man, but it was, it was cool. And there will even there will be a review posted up on metalmachine.net. But I'm gonna tell you guys just a little, just a little peek. It's good. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's really uh, well done. James Woods was definitely the highlight. Oh man, James Woods. Well, no, I, I I pointed out the excellent vocal skills of Billy Baldwin. But did you? I did, and I stick by that. Yeah, it was a very good film. They even had a little animated short about the Spectre with Gary Cole Gary and Cole Alyssa Bird, Milano, which man. I which I also really, really enjoyed. It was really, really good and really, really dark. Animated. Yeah, it was just a lot of fun. And then they even have a documentary on there about Infinite Crisis and Identity Crisis. So you just get to sit down and watch and listen to Brad Meltzer, Jeff Johns, and Dan DiDio talk about all the crises that have been going on. So, yeah, it was pretty awesome. I was impressed. Yeah. And this is an exciting week because oh, is coming. Oh, listen to that voice. Oh, man. I'm Sounds so like an outro from the old Batman show. Kickass is coming. This is an exciting week. But yeah, Kickass is coming up. I'm excited. Mikhail's excited. The general populace is excited, as they should be. Let's, yeah, let's talk about now. What are we doing now? Well, let's journey back to the slightly chillier land of Canada. This is our part two of our Toronto Comic Con excursion. And last time we gave you little bit of you. Yes. All of our fans telling us what they want to hear about. But right now, we're going to give you three awesome special guests. We had Gelsman, mm-hmm. Max Brooks, yes, and Phil Jimenez. Jimenez. Yes. And you are going to hear from each of them today. The first, a foremost comic book author for DC in particular. Gelsman. Oh my god. Quite a famed novelist uh, with great knowledge of all things undead. Then... Andrew's second date. Yes. Feel the thrill. Oh, man. He was, I was so glad that he was happy you called him that. <laughs> Yo, let's just dive right into it. Let's do it. Head first. No, no protection, no consequences. Let's just jump right in. Did you say no protection and I, no consequences? I think you heard me. I think you heard exactly think, uh, what I said. During this little interval, I'm going to have to educate Andrew <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> let's get to the interview. Let's do it. Now, every now and then, I get to do some video interviews at these Comic-Cons. Just in case you didn't know that, mm. they're actually on the website. Right now, my my interview with Ernie Hudson has about 2,227 hits. Oh, I know, right? So, the interviews are tough because sometimes you, you figure out who you're going to interview about five minutes before and you don't ever really have something prepared. But right. every now and then... You get an interview where you have an abundance prepared. I had so much to say to Gail Simone that we brought her back for the podcast. That's right. We had her come back the next day, and she was all about it. She had a little Wonder Woman lunchbox, which is apparently like the third one. Yes. I didn't know that. Yeah, but it kept getting stolen. It was like the third one in a line of Wonder Woman lunchboxes that she had. Kids are tough. (laughs) But, um, yeah, so we we were just so... 
So freaking excited to talk to Gail Simone. So excited. So we brought her in to do a little podcast interview, and this this is it. This is how it turned out. All right, Fortress fans, so I'm sitting here with Gail Simone, and I am very excited. I'm just going to jump right into it. So um, after uh, looking at your body of work, I have to be honest. The first thing that I want to ask you about, uh, Ms. Simone, is women in refrigerators. Okay. <laughs> if, if that's all right, I would just could you describe what that was? Uh, Women in Refrigerators is a site that I created in 1999, mm-hmm. and uh, it was basically posing the question of, is this a trend, should we pay attention, look out for, whatever, of women who are, exist only in a comic book story to further the pro- plot for the male character, mm-hmm. because so many characters were ending up, for instance, chopped up in refrigerators, depowered, yes. raped, murdered all kinds of you know various violent things were happening to them mm-hmm. and a lot of people were at the same time asking why there weren't very many female readers and i yeah. said maybe we should take a look at this mm-hmm. and so the site is really about other people giving examples of what they thought were a women in refrigerators moment and their opinions on um, it as a trend. It was never mm-hmm. to stop stories that have violent things happen to women. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've written some stories like that myself but it's just we don't want to have story after story after story where the female ends up you know in some violent situation only for the male hero to stare off in the sunset and vow his revenge mm-hmm. and then we never hear from the female character again right and it sounds like a lot of writers really did take that to heart even if it's just mentally starting to sort of process what they were writing that may be so uh forwarding this usual agenda what was that experience like kind of hearing feedback from both people and from writers during that period how formulative was that and like does you do you kind of look back fondly on uh, that experience well i think that you know the actually the term and the site has grown beyond me by this point um and i think that in in the end it has done a good thing in terms of at least having giving people the opportunity to take a look at it and maybe pointing it out and thinking really hard about what kind of story you want to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of people were angry at the time as well. So, you know, but I think in the end it was worth it. Oh, yeah. Um, also, uh, so you've worked on uh, both major heroic storylines and uh, you did Villains United, which turned into a continuing storyline uh, called Secret Six, yes? Yep. And uh, so this may be kind of a standard question, but do you prefer to write for villains in some ways uh what is it just a very different experience you know how evil i am inside. <laughs> <laughs> um everything i write i love while i'm writing it mm-hmm. i just i can't write it any other way is the truth of it but there is a special place for secret six just because i can really let go and really get into the psychology of mm-hmm. what makes people do the things they do sometimes what motivates them also keeping unpredictable for the reader and, uh, you know, I can exercise some of my dark sense of humor in there pretty pretty regularly, I must say. So, uh, yeah, I really enjoy it. I wouldn't say I prefer it more than writing yeah. heroes, but I do like it a lot. Do you find sometimes that it's not so different writing for your villain characters, or is it completely different? Um, writing... As opposed to writing for heroes' dialogue and... Um, uh, Each character is different, really, Mm -hmm. for me when it comes to writing because I try really hard to make each character have their own voice so that they don't all sound the same, Mm -hmm. and that means that they need to have their own motivations, their own backgrounds, all of those things. So, um, you know, 
the same types of thought process go in it for me, but it's just what how they make their decisions. Of course, because <laughs> it's certainly not you know your Legion of Doom. I mean, certainly Catman's motivations are very you know engaging beyond the point of saying oh that he's just a straight up villain. Oh yeah, right. And that's the fun thing about Secret Six is you're just not sure they might do something good once in a while. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you want to jump in? Yeah, yeah, sure. Something that I am very excited about is Brightest Day. Oh yeah, me too. Tell me why. <laughs> well, first of all, I think that the title is is excellent just because we've come out of a huge crossover, you know, called Darkest Night, which was fantastic, one of the best crossovers ever. Uh, but now to take it from that to Brightest Day and kind of like a little bit of a rebirth. And then, right. of course, uh, Birds of Prey, which I'm returning to and writing again, is, is part of that. So I'm very excited about that. The art pages coming in are absolutely gorgeous. And I think fans of the book will really uh, enjoy it. And then I also think that if you didn't read it before, that it's a good time to jump on. You won't have to have read the previous Birds of Praise in order to understand what's going on with this this new series. Now, are the birds going to be pushed into a more prominent role in the DC universe, like as an overall? Because we see all these different crossovers and things, and sometimes characters just may not play a part well, in them. One thing is that Oracle is basically the 911 operator of the DCU, so mm. she definitely is going to have a prominent role. Uh, the girls are returning to Gotham, and you know they're not real quiet characters in the first place, right. so they definitely will have a prominent role. The stories are going to be very uh, action-packed. I'm pushing the content a little more than what uh, the previous issues of Birds of Prey were. Awesome. So it's going to be lots of fun. Lots of fun and an incredibly scary, awful <laughs> new villain. <laughs> <laughs> now, can you t tell us any more about this? Because you mentioned this incredibly scary, awesome new villain to me yesterday in our video interview. Can you give us a little... Of course I'm not going to tell you anything ah, about it. I tried. You've got to read it and <laughs> be very scared. <laughs> now, Gail, we get to see you write for so many wonderful characters, Wonder Woman, Birds of Prey, Secret Six. Is there anybody that you haven't written for yet that you just are chomping at the bit to get at? Um, I would really love to write the Marvel family, and I've said this quite often before, so you know, for those of you who've heard it before, <laughs> I'm so sorry. But it's something that, you know, a character I loved when I was younger, and I'm from a small town, and the idea that you could be a kid and have a magic word and then have all that power, right. and what would you do with it? And, and I just think that that's one of the most brilliant concepts, so I would love to get a hold of the Marvel family someday. DC, hear me. Maybe with because we have the new Earth-1 lineups coming out, is there maybe a possibility you could... Don't know yet. Um, my schedule's sort of full for a little bit, so Fair. we'll see. <laughs> all right. Awesome. Um, all right, so I don't know if secret DC agents will leap on us when I ask this, but uh, are you? Is, was there a chance that you were ever interested in possibly breaking off and either like looking at some uh, Marvel lines or looking at something outside of that completely, like uh, forming your own kind of universe? Uh, and if so, what kind of things would you be interested in addressing by doing that? Well, I'm always interested in new ways to tell a story or different ways to tell a story than what I've done before. So I'm more of the type of person that looks for an opportunity that sounds exciting to me or challenging to me or something different that I haven't done before rather than is it going to be Marvel, DC, mm -hmm. something off on my own or possibly a novel or a screenplay or a video game or whatever. I'm just mm -hmm. always, if the opportunity is there and it's something that sounds really interesting to me, then, then that's when I jump on. Excellent. That's it. Well, thank you so much, Gail. That was great. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> hey, out there in Internet land. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Braids. Braids, Mikhail. Delicious braids and flesh. Can you, did you, can you tell what I was imitating? I can. There's a man here who knows all about these things that we call zombies. Ah, you got it. He's made it his specialty. And let me tell you, for my part, um, it's funny the kind of people who slip by. Because honestly, I hadn't uh, heard of Max Brooks, and suddenly I'll tell all my friends. Dude, I got a surprise interview with Max Brooks, and they go crazy. Yeah, and man. now I'm going crazy about the fact that we got to do it. Yeah, man, we talked. He, he's Mel Brooks and Anne Bancroft's son. Mm-hmm. He has done a lot of voiceover work, writing work. He's written for Saturday Night Live. Yeah, I don't he even is, know why I'm saying yeah. this. We cover all of this in the interview. We're getting into it. Should we just roll tape? So this is Will Forte reporting live once again from the Comic-Con Toronto floor. Uh, I have here Mr. Max Brooks. A uh, former writer of SNL, a writer of all things zombies, and we're just going to ask him some questions. Uh, I'd like to definitely know, how did you get started writing for Saturday Night Live? Uh, well, basically, I was meeting with a very close family friend. His name is George Shapiro. He's Seinfeld's manager. And oh, yeah. I just wanted to get some advice about my career, and it came out that I wasn't uh, living off of my parents. He was very impressed, and he said, uh, I think I can get you a, uh, an interview with Lorne Michaels. And I went, <laughs> you do that. You funny guy. And he did. Uh-huh. And, and Lorne Michaels read my material and said, I want this guy. And so that's how I got the job. Fantastic. And what was that experience like? Uh, it was kind of like my father's experience in World War II. It was, it was character building and unforgettable mm-hmm. and, and, and deeply rewarding. And I'll never do it again. <laughs> I do hear that, actually. <laughs> you want to throw something there? Yeah, yeah. Um, we know that you do some voice work. You did the uh, narration on the World War Z video book, or um, audio book, which is fantastic. We also saw we're big Justice League and Batman Beyond fans. Can you tell us about your work on those shows? Yeah. That was a, a Batman Beyond was uh, my first consistent money-making gig awesome. in show business. Uh, I was the voice of Howard Groot. How good. And uh, Howard Groot uh, basically was the round character in Batman. All the other characters are angular. When you see him, he's a round character. That was me. <laughs> now, um, was that just something that you just auditioned for or you were interested in? It just I, fell into I, your lap? No, no. I had, I had an agent, and I wanted to go out for some voiceover gigs. I thought I could awesome. do it. And uh, they called me one day and said, look, we're... We need you to do a, a phone audition. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy they chose for Howard couldn't do it. Uh, will you audition on the phone? And I did it, and I got it. And then they kept bringing Howard back. And before nice. I knew it, I had a semi-recurring gig. All right. Now, going to go a little into World War Z. In writing a bo- in reading that book, I love the fact that it was very personal. Every story really has the personal aspect of it. One of my favorites is at one point there's a mother who describes an experience she had during the a zombie outbreak where she's trying to save one of her kids and rips a zombie's head off without even thinking about it. What made you want to bring out the real deep personal aspects of that for a zombie story? Well, you know, I wanted to write a zombie book that I would read. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, uh, there's plenty of conventional zombie stories out there. When I say right. conventional, I mean a guy or a group of people, and they got to get from point A to point B. And some of those are really good. But then why would I want to write about it? It's already being written. Right. I wanted to write something that wasn't out there. So I wanted to tell a big story, and I wanted to make it international. And that was sort of the heart and soul of it. Right. Now, did you have to do any kind of, like, specific research into doing a story, like, of that, like, especially of that global magnitude, because you go into what North Korea would do during the whole thing, what Israel does. Did you have to really look into anything specific to make sure you didn't kind of... Maybe no, I pulled tra- it out of my ass. <laughs> 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 uh, 
No, I did. I, I always say World War Z took me months to write, and but it took me years to research. Uh, intense amount of book study and intense amount of interviews. I mean, all the fake interviews I did in World War Z are based on real interviews I did with real people with real jobs. Awesome. I always said that if the FBI ever broke into my office, it looked like a terrorist. <laughs> there was nothing there, but there was just a desk and maps and books on weapons and tactics. And I, there was three copies of the Quran because I needed to get a quote right. I wanted to make sure it was the same in all different versions. Yeah, no, it was yeah. bad. Did uh, so? Did do you feel that uh, leading into your zombie work, uh, did that lead off a bit from uh, writing for SNL? Do you feel like you got? Uh, kind of jumped from there both professionally and creatively, took well, off some things, and actually, were you taking it a completely different direction? I wrote Zombie Survival Guide before I got the SNL gig. Okay. I wrote Zombie Survival Guide mm-hmm. in 98, yeah. 99. Uh-huh. I got SNL in 2001. That's right. I wrote Zombie Survival Guide and stuck it in a drawer. Because <laughs> I thought, wait, well, nobody going to want to read this. <laughs> it's a real book on how to fight something that's not real. Who the hell would want this? Yeah. I wrote it purely for me. And then... Mm-hmm. When I was on SNL, I met a book agent who said, oh, I think I can get you a publishing deal. And mm-hmm. like with George Shapiro, I said, you do that. <laughs> and he did. Yeah. So writing for you, that's, is that something that you would recommend to uh, up-and-coming writers? Or are you just telling them, uh, you know, write for cash? No. Uh, the thing about up-and-coming writers, first ask yourself, why do you want to become a writer? Do you want to become a writer because you can't not write, because mm-hmm. there's stories you can't not tell, because even if you got a job working at the Burger King, you would write in your spare time. Sure. Then you're a writer, and then that's awesome. But if you just want to just make money, or if you want to prove to the people in your hometown that, like, <laughs> I can get a girl, ha! <laughs> well, then you can suck it. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, with... um. We're hearing some movie buzz about World War Z. Can you tell us anything about that, how that process is going? I can tell you that Brad Pitt's company has optioned the rights uh, and that they have a director, uh, Mark Forster. Oh, right. they, had, they had a writer, J. Michael Straczynski, for the first draft. Mm-hmm. And now they have this guy, Matt Carnahan, for the next draft. All right. Uh, and they seem to be really jazzed. Awesome. Now, is there any specific way you think that movie should be done if it was produced? Like you yes. have to Yes, I do. Please I think it should be done well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in, uh, in terms of filming, you have, of course, there are certain films that are done straightforward. Now you have, like, the handicam craze that is going on, things like that. Is, there something, is that something you'd maybe want to stay away from, even though it has a more realistic feel to the book? The only thing I think should be avoided at all costs mm-hmm. uh, is Michael Bay. Anything else, All right. you can keep. <laughs> you put Fair anything enough. else in there. You can make it a gay zombie romp on ice. I don't care. Just keep that man away from my zombies. I have this vision of Michael Bay clawing at the door of your studio and you all, like, brandishing shotguns, like, yeah, if he gets in here. Yeah, that's, and, and the funny thing is, unlike my zombies, you can shoot him in the head. He'll keep coming. I think that's about it. That's... Yeah. Yeah, Max, they're... thank you so much. Really, really appreciate it. Big fan. Love the books. I love the first recorded attacks because very rarely do you see a graphic novel that can tell a full story with very little dialogue, and I was very impressed by that. I just want to say. You know what? I, I took a big risk on that because I know a lot of you know I, a lot of comic writers want to make sure their dialogue's in there to prove that they're writing. Right. Uh, but my attitude was I told the story I wanted to tell. Right. And I didn't want to overdo it. This is the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah, just fantastic stuff. Well, thank you. Yes, Max. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. This is Max Brooks. I'm here with Staff and Staff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> staff signing off. 
Mikhail, guess what? what? What's that? This is our test of our friendship. Who who did I first ever interview? Ever. I want to say that it was uh, Robert Downey Jr. Ah, come on. Mikhail, oh, I okay. do interviews for MetalMachine.net. Oh, you're They're the guy who online. interviewed yes. Bill Jimenez. I did. Oh, I know you know. I do. <laughs> yeah, I know. All right. But yeah, dude, talked to Phil Jimenez like a year ago in Philly, and then we tracked him down to Toronto, and he, he talked to the both of us. Mm-hmm. He's the nicest guy. He really is. All right, everybody. Andrew and Mikhail here with Phil Jimenez. How you doing, Phil? I'm doing pretty well. A little well, burned, but a little, <laughs> a little burned out, I should say, but doing well. Awesome. Now, Phil, we are always interested in your work and what you're doing. What are you up to right now? Uh, I'm currently trying to finish a run of Astonishing X-Men with Warren Ellis for Marvel Comics. We're a little late. We apologize for that. <laughs> It'll be out soon. Uh, I'm, my Wonder Woman encyclopedia that I co-wrote with John Wells is going to come out. Gosh, in April. Awesome. Uh, and then there's a few other things on the horizon we're trying to figure out. Cool. Now, I love because I heard about the Wonder Woman encyclopedia a few weeks ago. What was it like working on a, doing a whole encyclopedia in, encyclopedia for a character that you have great experience with already? Uh, Just, two or three things about that encyclopedia. One, it was a lot of work. It doesn't sound like <laughs> it, but reading about 75 years of uh, history and comics and um, stories that don't necessarily make sense with each other, and then trying to make them all jive for an encyclopedia. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were some sleepless nights <laughs> trying to figure out, you know, what about this Wonder Woman? What about that Wonder Woman? Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a, it was great fun, a lot of work, a lot of finessing, and for me, it's sort of an education in the way women <laughs> are treated in comics uh, over the decades. Now. It's just because we were talking to Gail Simone uh, yesterday about her. Are you familiar with the Women in Refrigerators website? Absolutely. What did you think? Because that's a perfect example of what you were just talking about. If uh, well, I know that I know that website, and what's interesting to me is more. I think not to get super political, but Wonder Woman is a, a really interesting examination of how men felt about feminism by the decade. <laughs> and you can tell, like, this tone of Wonder Woman's stories are all about, like, because her writers until Gail Simone were men, mm-hmm. including me, trying to figure out, like, what women and feminism were. And so in the 40s, it's all about, like, Rosie the Riveter, like, we can do it too. In the right. 50s, it's all about Wonder Woman wants to get married. In the 60s and 70s, it's, like, mod Wonder Woman. <laughs> the 70s, it's a very angry feminist yeah. Wonder Woman, you know. And so it's just that that to me was the most interesting thing. We're seeing these trends um, and you can tell the authors trying to work out their own issues. Right. Now, we do know that you also did work on the DC Encyclopedia. Was it uh, harder or easier to do uh, an encyclopedia where you have many characters as opposed to filling up 300 pages with just one? Uh the the one one encyclopedia is easier just because it's a single character and I have all those issues when you're doing when you're when you have so many other characters, the resources are just simply more limited. So you're looking for that one single issue that had a specific story that you may or may not have in the library. It's really tedious to talk about. It's just a, it's a it's a very interesting practical matter of having access to material. Okay, That's, this is terrible. <laughs> terrible. How can I help you? Okay. All right, <laughs> all right, Mr. Jimenez or Phil. Do you have any nicknames, Phil? 
You have any nicknames you ever I gone don't, by? Actually, don't? But I actually. But I love that you pronounce my name correctly because Jimenez? everyone's been pronouncing it Jimenez. Jimenez? Jimenez. 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 <laughs> All right. Uh, and spelling it incorrectly, too. Oh, we did our yeah. yeah you, uh-huh. you guys are. Well, we were hoping great. we could call you Phil the Thrill Jimenez. So, uh, that? I, I love that. It will be, <laughs> I'm having t shirts made right now. All right, awesome. Well, Phil yeah. the Thrill, can you tell me? Um, we know that you had a. Uh, you closely followed the work of George Perez, and you actually got to work uh, with him a few times. Yeah. Was there was there sort of a mentor uh, mentee role going on at any certain point, or were you just kind of trying to uh, learn from him? Uh, uh, from the thing distance? is, George was a huge and powerful influence on my work. I had never met him until I was an adult, well after I was in the business, um, and it was actually really great because it turned out that we had a lot in common. Uh, even we we found out a bunch of stuff. So even though I'd never met him. His work was inspirational, and then it turns out we were actually quite a bit alike. Uh, certain interests and certain uh, things we do that are good, and certain things that we do are bad. And so it was kind of—it was actually very exciting. But um, he was not a direct mentor. He was—but uh, uh, he's always been very, very, very kind to me, and really good. And uh, I always try to tell him whenever I can that all I'm doing is carrying on a tradition that I feel he helped establish. That's great. Well, speaking of the, the both of you, I assume, um, I've just recently kind of jumped back into the comic books, and one of the first things I where noticed... Where have you been? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> off in some other world where I... Uh, well, welcome... Yeah. <laughs> reading normal Real books. books. Real books. Whatever. <laughs> well, welcome back. Novels. <laughs> Novels without graphics. Um, but uh, anyway, I, one of the what first things I... What language are you speaking? <laughs> one of the first things that I noticed in the c- credits was all of these Hispanic names under the art category. And I was so curious. Um, is there sort of a uh, cultural uh, interest in that uh, way? Because it just seemed like a very uh, large number of Hispanic um, artists in uh, both universes. Uh, that's a great question. My <laughs> sense is, from my own experiences, is that a lot of... Uh, uh, DC and Marvel comics, mainstream superhero comics, are marketed in Spanish-speaking countries, and so there are okay. large fan bases. And I think young artists become interested in those characters, and so there are whole studios um, in in different countries and uh, uh, Brazil, which is technically mm-hmm. uh, Portuguese. But um, I think a lot of it has to do with where the comics are distributed, oh, and that okay. makes kids get into those comics. So if more comics were distributed, American comics were distributed in. Croatia, you'd probably see a lot of Croatia yeah. artists or whatever. You know, uh, <laughs> I really think it has to do with access, mm-hmm. and then, um, uh, yeah, that's it. Is it then kind of surprising that there aren't more Hispanic uh, superheroes, or are there some that are marketed in other areas that we don't know about? Funny, I just did a whole bit of research on like what uh, on Hispanic mm-hmm. characters and which the uh, which ones are big and which ones made it and which ones didn't in yeah. mainstream comics. I think. If comic companies are smart, they will start generating more books about Hispanic leads because of just demographic shifts yeah. around the world, right? Mm-hmm. Also, I think they should start translating all their works in all sorts of different languages just to get the broadest readership possible. I still think comics are made by a lot of the same people, you know, and so and they look the same, they sound the same, etc. I think I think it'd be just wise from a purely business level to mm-hmm. sort of diversify just because you're going to start talking to a bunch of new consumers, yeah. right? Absolutely. Well, Phil, I not love to it? ask this question. Oh, oh okay. I'm, not, oh, I'm not done. Oh, come on. Uh, you have a very storied career. You've worked on everybody from Teen Titans, X-Men, Robin. What do you – is there a character yet that you haven't gotten to get at that maybe you just have been just itching to draw or, or even write for? Uh, I was asked this question earlier, 
because I tend to do event projects, I've drawn everyone. Mm -hmm. And I even forget sometimes who I've drawn. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's right. I totally drew her. And I, I forget about it. Um, the one character I'd like to do, I my dream project, actually, um, I'd like to do a single Wonder Woman one-shot. Because, okay. uh, as anyone knows, as I've complained about Brazilian years, uh, my time on Wonder Woman was a pretty checkered one. Mm -hmm. A lot of... I was a young writer, didn't know as much, a lot of editorial mm -hmm. stuff, mucked <laughs> that up, a couple of crossovers, 9-11. It was a very messy right. time. And um, I would love just one little book, just without all that, to write and draw a Wonder Woman story. Um, other than that, I find that I want to leave the writing to the people that are really good at it. That's fair. Um, uh, and just sort of write, work on stories that are very cool. Right now, I have to admit that what interests me even more than characters are formats and the way comics are distributed and mm -hmm. getting comics to new readers, getting comics to kids and getting comics to people, um, you know, who might not have access to them. And so for me, uh, distribution I'm really interested in and um, uh, tailoring content to new audiences, right. which sounds really tedious so, on a webcast, well, but um, hey. that's the stuff I'm... Other than my little one 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 shot, that's what I'm really interested in. I want, I want as many people to read our books as possible and I want to have a line... I'd love to work for a company that is creating all different kinds of books for all different kinds of people. Awesome. Now, since you're getting into new ways to get comics out there, what do you think of the whole motion comic craze that's starting to build? We get that, rea we get that response a lot. Uh, I'm actually, here's th I have two responses. I love motion comics. Awesome. I'm really into them. I think I'm the only person I know that's into <laughs> them. Because um, I think they're this weird thing. I think, they're, I think if they were not called comics, mm -hmm. people would be fine with that <laughs> um, because they're cheap animations it's mm -hmm. great ways to uh it's great promotion mm -hmm. i saw the the web comic uh, in new york city when they were doing it in union square it's yep. like that's really cool yeah. i like it but i'm also not a super traditionalist it seems to me that the format as long as the story is out there and people are getting them i don't really mm -hmm. care necessarily is it in a 22 page pamphlet is it online is it in a big old graphic novel um the older I get, the, the more I'm interested in getting this material to people, whatever way they can get it. Right. So, like, motion comics, interesting experiment. Maybe not everyone's favorite. Mm -hmm. I liked it. And now you have things like Kindle and the iPad that are coming out. Now, when it Very comes to the... About that. Yeah. It's like, now artists have a way to, and writers have a way to get their work out there directly on the internet. Is that something that you'd be interested in trying to pick up on? I, I am primarily not to, uh, I'm interested in it, not to sort of eliminate, of course, like all the, the, the comic retailers. And it's simply another venue to get material out. Right. And it can always, I'm, and it's also, it's a different format. And again, it's about people who don't have access mm -hmm. necessarily, or or people who might not go into a comic store, they might see an advertisement for it and click on it. Right. I'm intrigued by that idea. I think the trick, of course, will be to f make sure that everyone can, can stay in business. But um, also it's about making comic. It's For me, it's not about just putting, putting X-Men online. It's right. about adapting X-Men for an online, for the medium itself. For the potential consumer, so it's for me, it's a different thing than just putting a co scanning a comic and putting it online. Right. Now, there are a lot of comic book movies in the works. We yes. know yourself; your hands were a star in the first Spider-Man movie. Ago, right? I know, right? Crazy, crazy. Is there any character now? More and more, like side characters are starting to come out. There's a Jonah Hex movie. Are there any characters that you think would be perfect for film that nobody's touched on yet? Since you've covered so many. The funny thing about well, I just just talking about this too. What's interesting to me about a lot of these characters is mm -hmm. I know they're being adapted for film. 
I actually think some of them should be adopted for TV. I'm actually more yeah. interested. I, I know there's more money to be made in movies, mm-hmm. but I think certain characters are better built uh, for like five season arcs as right. opposed to three movie trilogies. Mm-hmm. Um, certain characters that have complicated backstories or big supporting characters, I'm kind of interested in that more than the, th- the three big movies, primarily because then. Like in a movie like Spider-Man Three, the more money that's involved, the more hands are involved. Mm. And uh, I just want—I—I'm I, not. There's no character I'm dying to see so much that I want to see a bad movie of. You know what I'm saying? And what about like a miniseries format? They have a lot. That's done uh, real wonders for sci-fi. I feel in many ways. And I feel like if you had like a a long arc that you didn't want to cut down, a six-hour miniseries might be a really interesting way to go. Something I like Infinite Crisis, that. even would I that mean, be interesting? I, I. Uh, I th- it's really, as we all know, it's about money and who's willing to pay for that and advertise on that. But I think the character should be placed for audience. I, I, I think for the audience, for the character, and for the for the money people, put it in that venue that's best for it. So if it's doesn't really work in a two-hour movie, make it a six-hour miniseries and then advertise the hell about it. You know, I'm I'm keen on that. I'm very practical that way, though. I'm not, I'm not a Hollywood thinker. Um, I, my agent is constantly reminding me that I'm not thinking big enough. Because uh, I'm like, oh, you could do this, this, and this. And he's like, no, 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 we want to go bigger. And so the, uh, the politics and money of that are always very interesting. Now, you're working with Warren Ellis on Astonishing X-Men. You've worked with Jeff Johns, all kinds of great writers. Is there anybody that you haven't worked with yet that you would love, that you think their words would go great with your art? I actually would like to work with Gail Simone. I've been telling her that, that for a while. That is so cool. We, where is she? We yeah. will find her right now. Uh, there she is. I can see her from yes. here. I've actually, <laughs> it, it, that question for a long time had really been, I really like Grant Morrison. I really like Warren Ellis. Those guys write me the, write me the best scripts. Like, mm-hmm. you know, every author writes their artists well. The Warren scripts, despite our delays, have been fantastic. Like, the imagery he's asked me to draw is great. Right. So I love it. Um, but Gail Simone is actually someone I think we could make good comics, and that would excite me immensely. That's awesome. Uh, I agree. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 110%. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anyth- anyone else. If Bendis did something other than Avengers, <laughs> uh, I w- I'd be curious. I, I, I met Bendis like, God, it must be 12 or 13 years ago to con, mm-hmm. and I l- fell in love with him then, yeah. but this is before he was what he was. Right. And... Uh, he, we were talking about movies, and he knew how much money single white female made. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you're my favorite person <laughs> in comedy. And so, uh, and from then on, I was like, he's a guy I would love to work with. The problem is I'm not overly attracted to the Avengers property. Right. And so, uh, and that, that part of the Marvel Universe, I think there are better artists and better people who are equipped to deal with that stuff. But it would be great to, um, Bendis and Gale would be, would be terrific. Awesome. But I'd really like to work with Grant a little bit more and... I've been really lucky. It's very strange looking at my career because I'm like, oh, I worked with that person. And they were, for the most part, really good experiences. Um, The only one that I'd I'd like to work on Jeff on something that's scheduled better and is not a crossover. Right. Because that's a nightmare. That's fair. Yeah. All right, Phil. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you so much once again. Andrew McHale with I'm Phil about Jimenez. To get on that Dude, you get on that airplane. Yeah. You take a nap because you look tired, sir. Uh, these things are, it's been an exhausting day. <laughs> Thanks so much for talking to because us. Because of you. <laughs> all right, 40s. I hope you enjoyed those interviews. I hope you enjoyed all the stuff from Toronto. I know so that much we stuff. did. So much stuff that we got to do. So much stuff. We got stuff. to see. Mm hmm. 
I don't think I'll ever forget it. Certainly, these people right here. You had a, a little run-in with a lady too, didn't you? Oh, Mikhail's little red-headed girl. Oh, you're talking about the red herring. Yes, who we were introduced to in the yep. last episode. In the last episode. Very enthusiastic comic book and lingerie fan. Mm -hmm. And I will I will say this: she asked mm -hmm. where the bathroom was, and Mikhail just went. It's over there. That was it. Cool. You couldn't see that as from a home, as a cucumber. Andrew's imitation of my face was spot on. It was spot on. It had like a little wink, with a bit of like a dip on the left side of the chin. It was brilliant. He had the whole thing done. So many memories. Nothing came up after that, but it was nice. It was a nice moment. What were we talking about? Again? I don't remember. You know what, everybody? We'll just leave you guys to it. You got our interviews. Stay tuned, everybody. Well, well no, we, yeah, to the next episode. Yeah, next, not, we're we're done for today. Yeah, don't stay tuned now. Leave us alone, unless you want to. But we love you.